friends, welcome to God on Tap, and we are going to finish out 2 John today. So we're going to look at verses 4 through the end at 13, and that will wrap out that book. It's kind of fun to do a book in two days, even though we all know it's more like a sticky note, but that's fine. We'll call 2 John sticky note of the Bible toward the end. So 1 John, nope, 2 John verses 4 through 13, 2 John verses 4 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we would walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. I always feel so profound when I read John's stuff out loud. Okay, so here's what's going on. I want you to imagine, like, let's say you were going to come to me, and I was like, listen, I'm the president of the OU fan club here in Dallas, Texas. And you're like, oh, cool, I'd like in. I'd be like, all right, great. Uh, So a couple of things. Um, You have to wear uh, crimson and cream. That's kind of a a no-brainer. And you were like, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I'd be like, cool. Uh, And you have to, every time someone sells Boomer, you have to say Sooner. And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. I'm like, and you have to, um, you have to like love the team. Like you have to like cheer for the Sooners, root for the Sooners. Like you have to do that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And I was like, okay. And then last but not least, you you can't love Texas more than OU. Like I feel like that doesn't even need to be said, but you you just can't love UT more than OU. And you were like, yeah, no, I'm no, I'm a huge UT fan. And I'd be like, uh, hmm. That's going to be a little problematic for you to be in the OU fan club because that's just not a part of our identity. Like, that's not what you've heard from the beginning. And you're like, no, 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 listen, I'll wear your crimson and cream. I'll yell boomer sooner. I'll cheer for you guys, but I, I love UT. I love them more than you. Uh, y'all ain't getting in. Like, I'm just telling you right now, like, I'll be like, uh, denied. You're not coming to the party. You're not coming to the watch party. You're not, you know, none of that stuff. Why? Because at some point, there's got to be a line, right, of, like, what constitutes being a part of the group. And so I used to have a seminary professor who'd say this stuff all the time. I think I've said on the podcast where, like, at what point does Chick-fil-A stop being Chick-fil-A? Like, if you're like, yeah, I would open up a Chick-fil-A and we serve burgers and beers. And when we and when you say thank you, we say, get out of here instead of my pleasure. Like, you'd be like, that's not, that's not Chick-fil-A. That's a little bit of what's happening in this letter to Second John. We talked about it yesterday. John is trying to help the churches understand in this new world, right? This new understanding of the kingdom. There it takes wisdom in figuring out how do we walk in this new life. It certainly was true for them. 
30, 40 years removed from Jesus. And talk about for us, 2,000 some odd years removed from Jesus. Like last I checked, there's not a Bible fast, or excuse me, a Bible passage that has to do with Twitter. And yet I think ethically we need to be prepared for that. So like part of the Christian experience is understanding wisdom and especially when you sort of have what what looks at the surface of competing values. So what do I mean by that? Well, this is a perfect example in, in this book of John that we have. We have these itinerant preachers. We have these people that are traveling around, and they, they say they belong to the Christian church. They say they're proclaiming the message of Christ. So you have the home churches that feel stuck between this value of hospitality. Should we bring them into our home? And, and the idea of Christian hospitality, we talked about briefly yesterday, it's so big. Like you bring so much shame if you don't bring someone in that you can that you can help. I mean, that's part of the the gospel or the parable of the Samaritan. That's part of Jesus saying, I don't have a home and I, I find my home in places. And he tells his disciples, like, go out into the community and let people welcome you. See it in Paul's ministry all throughout the ancient world that people brought him into their homes. Hospitality is so big. In fact, there's an ancient Christian doc- document called the Didache. That's a mouthful, I know. Didache. It's just basically a document that was like meant to help people. It's not scripture, but it meant to help people kind of flesh out like how do we fast? How do we deal with hospitality? How do we, and this is hospitality, welcoming in itinerant preachers, welcoming in folks that are of the Christian family. Like the Didache talks about that. So you can tell this is something that the early church is wrestling with. So you've got this one competing value of we want to welcome people and love and serve them. And then this other competing value of, but they say some crazy things. What do we do? And so John just cuts through it all. And he's like, here, listen. Hey, here's the commandment that I've given you. And I love what John always does because he's like, I'm going to give you a commandment. And by the way, it's not new. It's old because John is always pushing back into Jesus. He, like he, John's not like, you, you won't catch John, I don't think, being like, well, I think we should do this based on this. Like you're going to be like, hey, I'm telling you something that we've been saying from the beginning. That's his style. Like he very much pulls out of his toolbox. We're going to talk about the old way, the old way, which we got straight up from the true OG Jesus Christ himself. And so here's John. He said, hey, lady, I'm giving you a commandment. It ain't new. It's all love one another. And then he says, hey, the way that you love one another is to do it in truth. Because for John, love and truth cannot be separated, which makes total sense. Because love and truth do not find their source in a concept. They find their source in a person, which is Jesus Christ. So you don't need to chop up Jesus Christ and be like, this is the loving part of him. Here's the truth part of him. Let's figure out how they go hand in hand. No, they always go hand in hand. What is true is also loving, and what is loving is also true, because they find their source in the in the good one, the Jesus Christ one. And so So here's John saying, hey, I'm telling you to love one another, but, but, but loving one another means you do not sacrifice truth. And so if these fools show up trying to preach you something like Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, nah, you put up a no vacancy sign, like just hard pass. Like don't, and so much so that John's like, by the way, if you do bring them in, you are participating in their wickedness, which you're like, dang, John, like. You can't even just be like, hey, if you're doing it, like, that's problematic, and we should probably powwow and figure out a way to, like, maybe not do that again. But instead, John's like, no, if you do it, yeah, you're a part of their wicked schemes. So what you going to do about that, elect lady? And so it, he's he is not mincing words. Why? Well, because, again, hospitality is not just giving someone 
a bed and a warm meal. It is identifying with them. It's it's saying my identity is going to be connected to you. So if you're choosing to open up your home to these false teachers, then you are inadvertently communicating to your community that you that you're over, that you're a part of, that you are you are indebted to. Hey, my my sharing my home with them is almost like I'm validating them. So that's why that's why he's saying that. It's not like, hey, listen, in today's culture, it's very different. Like in today's culture, we don't think that. Like we don't, like if you paid a hundred bucks to put someone up in a hotel, we wouldn't necessarily think, oh, okay, you are you are subscribing to every one of their beliefs. But in the ancient world, if that person comes and stays in your home and is a part of your community, that's exactly that's exactly what they would think. It's why it's why it's so controversial when Jesus is eating with sinners like hanging out with tax collectors and they're like, bro, is that really the kind of people you want to be known with? And he's like, uh, yeah, because the physician comes for the sick. Get on my level, Pharisees. So yeah, so that's why it's so, that's why John is like, no, like it's just a flat out no. And so for him, it's not, it's not a, and John is so black and white. So don't you just expect him to be like that? He's like, okay, so let me get this straight. You have the ability to be hospitable, but these guys are false teachers. You want to know what to do? No. Like, I just love how John is so black and white. So what is it that they're teaching? Like, why is it so dangerous? Because you're asking yourself, like, gosh, okay. Probably the corollary for me is to be careful who I really co-sign of their teaching, right? There is a modern-day corollary here, which is, like, who are the people that, like, when you just kind of say, listen, I want to – I'm a fan of theirs. I'm a fan of their writing or I'm a fan of their podcast or – this one. I mean, that's the one you should be a fan of. But anyways, like, like there's a way in the modern world to kind of identify yourself with like, hey, this person has discipled me from afar because I post about their books and I post about their teaching and I repost their, their stuff, right? So there's a great wisdom here in saying, hey, be careful with this. Like, don't, don't participate in their wicked acts by co-signing on their ministry. And so now it should leave us all being like, um, how do we, how do we know? Like, how, like what, like why, hmm, how do we know they're a false teacher? Like, do they have to get everything right? And this is where, this is what I, I love about uh, church history, and this is what I love about what's going on here. So let me give you a little bit of history of what's going on here. The reason why he says that they, they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. He says that about halfway through, about verse, verse 7 or so. They do not confess Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. There was this... Uh, heresy and heresy is our, this church history term where we apply it to things that are outside of what is classic Christian doctrine. Okay, and there was this group of people that believed in what's called docetism, and and it's from daketo, this Greek word, and it means to seem like. And it was this idea that Jesus only seemed like he had a body, but he didn't actually have a body, so he didn't actually suffer on the cross and die. And this is this idea. And, that, and you got to imagine, people are probably like trying to save Jesus' reputation because it's a very shameful thing to take on the, the debt of the world to be stripped down naked and, and hung on a cross and die. So you can understand some people being like, ooh, that's problematic. So let's, let's make it seem like that didn't happen by saying Jesus only appears to have a body and therefore he didn't, he didn't actually suffer in all these things. Well, First of all, Jesus does take on the shame of the world because he he destigmatizes shame for us. He takes our shame on his body. So yeah, I mean, it is a shameful thing that happened to Jesus, but Jesus is vindicated when he comes out of that tomb. Like when death met Jesus, death died. So you don't need to rescue Jesus from his own story. Like he done already rescued himself. He like, bow, rolled out that tomb and was like, what's up? You thought you had me. You thought you had me down. 
Nah, I came up out. Three days later, we out here, fam. So you don't you don't need to rescue Jesus from his own story. But not only that, what's the problem ultimately with assuming that Jesus doesn't have a real body? Well, it violates one of the core teachings of the Christian faith, which is Jesus is fully God and fully man. Why does that matter? Well, how is Jesus going to save humanity? The only way that someone can save humanity is if they're fully God and fully man. And here's why. Because if you're fully God, then you're perfect enough because you have to have a perfect sacrifice in order to, to, to qualify for the sins of the people. But you also have to have a substitute in our place. So you got to have a person. So he's got to be man because if what's he's got to be us. He's got to be made in, in the flesh so that he can take on our our stead like he stands in like a person has to stand in a person's place that's why he's got to be fully man but he's got to be fully god because no sinful human could possibly take on the full wrath of what's due to humanity and take it on in himself and vanquish it and so if jesus only seems to have a body then he only seems to go to the cross which means it seems like your salvation ain't really there and that's why this teaching is so dangerous and why people would and that's why the early church early on goes whoa 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 no. And it's also why we have passages in the scripture when Jesus comes up out of the bo- out of the ground and he's like, uh, y- y'all want to y'all wanna eat some fish? Hey, y'all want to see the, the holes in my body? You want to see the scars? And he touched people and they touched him. And it's why the physicality of Jesus is, is so important because it what, it's what makes a way for us. The, the God-man is what makes a way for our salvation to even take place. And this is one of the core beliefs of, of the Christian tradition. And so that's why it's not just so how do you know like should i endorse this teacher even though hey their views on you know speaking in tongues maybe i don't entirely agree with but i agree with everything else that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about the core essentials of the faith which brings me to this is what john's getting at he's not worried about the preachers that come in and or at least we don't have any any documents that tell us this is what the early church was worried about is the people that come in and be like well you know um this is my interpretation of the creation account, and this is my interpretation of the creation account. I think it was a literal seven days. Other people are like, I think it was a poetic seven days. Like, that's that's not what we're arguing about. We're arguing about the essentials of the faith, which, which then you should be asking yourself, how do I know what the essentials are? It's a great question. There's, I would posit there's about seven of them, um, and the reason why we get that is because in the early church, we had these councils. Things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed came out of these things that told us what is it that Christians all over the world and throughout history believe. And these things were being debated heavily. And they came out, and that's when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So if your view of the creation account is one that God didn't create it and that warring gods created it and then bloop, humanity popped out, I don't think you have an orthodox view of creation, right? And so when you look at so what are the seven essentials, you know, that we have a trinity, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that he died and made atonement for humanity, that all humanity is sinful, that Jesus Christ did in fact rise from the dead, that that someday he's going to come back, like there's a restoration. Like these are the things that the creeds talk about. Do the creeds talk about whether or not there were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? No. No. Because that's not essential to the faith. And so what I encourage you to do, if you never consider what are the essentials, I'd encourage you to grab the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and read through those things. We've talked about this and the other ones before. And so those are the things that, listen, listen, if you are reading a teacher or you you subscribe to a teacher who says things like, well, Jesus started your salvation, but you're going to have to finish it. 
I don't know that I would be aligning yourself with them. If you've got a teacher who's like, hey, Jesus Christ was a great prophet, but I'm going to have to draw the line when we call him a God. No, no, run. Do not associate yourself. If somebody's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in the Trinity. Like, I think there's a father. I think there's a son, but the Holy Spirit's not a person. He's just a force. Like, he's just a lightsaber floating through space. Like, no, no, absolutely not. And those are the things that church history has given us as our inheritance as Christians to say, how do I know the people that I welcome into my home? And how do I know the people? And then the modern day equivalent maybe is how do I know the people that I align myself with and say, listen, I believe their teaching is good and right and something I want to share with people because I'm deeply encouraged by it. And I think you will be. And then what are the people that you go, gosh, I don't know, guys, there, there's a litmus test here. And I'm not, I'm not sure they're passing it. If you don't know what those essentials are, I'd highly encourage you to, to figure out what those are. And then once you do know what those are, use that. Lean, lean into the church history to say, yeah, you know what, this person, we don't, we don't see eye to eye on the role of women in the church, but by golly, they have a very um, robust theology that has a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a high view of Jesus, a high view of the Holy Spirit. They believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man. And when they talk and they teach and they preach, I get so much out of it. So though we disagree over here, gosh, this is somebody I could welcome and say, listen to them. You know, but if there's somebody like, man, they're super entertaining and they're like, ping, 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 ping all the time. And I love what they're saying. But what? Wait, what? What are they just saying about Jesus? I don't know about that. No. John would be like, no. And he would slap your hand and tell you to run. So that's my long winded way of saying that's what second John's about. It's basically this. In the ancient world, hospitality was so important. It was so important. And hospitality was so much more than let's grab a bite to eat. It was hey, this is a person that I'm bringing in because they're going to participate in and have fluence over the community around me. And so I need to make sure that the people I'm bringing into my home are preaching something in accordance to what we have first received. What are those things that are absolutely essential? It's those things that the creeds worked out. It's this idea that the Christian church, whether you're Greek, Orthodox, whether you're Catholic, whether you're Protestant, we've all agreed on these things and said, this is what Jesus had passed down. This is what the scriptures testify about. And this is that nice little warm coat we get to wrap ourselves in and go, mm, I feel safe and secure in this. And if somebody tries to tell me that is that they have a, a new gospel or a new teaching or a new concept that somehow contradicts those things, they're not new. They're as old as Second John. And tell them, get out of here with that mess. And so that's what Second John's all about. So big so what here. God has given us a great inheritance, which is the truth. And that inheritance came to us as the person that Jesus Christ came. And he's like, hey, look, you search the scriptures because then you think you find eternal life. But I'm telling you, the scriptures testify about me. I'm the eternal life. I'm the way, the truth, and life. I'm love. I'm goodness. I'm beauty. I'm all those things. And what a gift. And what a gift. And so we can be the people that say, listen, I can be exacting in who it is that I'm going to associate with and allow to inform and disciple me. And I don't have to guess. I don't have to guess. This is as old as 2 John, where he's like, hey, look, if somebody's saying that Jesus Christ didn't have a body, I'm sorry, folks, but that ain't it. And so what I just say is there's a real comfort, I think, I think, in Christianity of not having to guess what are the non non-essentials and essentials. I think that church history has done the hard work for us. They, they have given us the creeds. They've given us so many writings to go, this is what, this is the absolute closed fist truth. We close our fists around this and we do not move. 
And then, you know, we have hearty debates about the other things. We disagree. We find common ground. We find uncommon ground. But we can still love each other. We'll still say, hey, see you in heaven someday. Maybe not going to plant a church with you. But you're my brother. You're my sister. Love you. Peace and grace. All that stuff. But for anyone who violates those closed fist essentials, that's where we get to say, hey, the most loving thing that I can do is to tell the truth. And in order to tell you the truth, I've got to say, hey, I don't think your views are in accordance to what the church has said is Christianity for so long. And I would encourage you to look into the deep things of God, taste and see, and and get this right. And get this right. So, all right. That was a lot. I know I just went over a little bit on time, but I think it's really important. And plus, you got to learn the word docetism. And I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. So, enjoy. All right. If nobody's told you that they love you, I do. But way more importantly... The God of truth, beauty, and goodness is crazy about you. Peace.